Hello. Just before you start listening to the podcast, I'd like to let you know that this will be a two-parter with Dr. Rachel Taylor. We spent the best part of two hours chatting and I couldn't fit it all into one. So to listen to the next part, make sure you download the episode next week. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Real Education Podcast with me, Tamaris Fahani and Chris Winston-Longley. Hello. Hello. He said it this time. Usually I have to prompt him to say hello. We're joined today by Dr. Rachel Taylor, who's a neuroscientist who I've spoken to a couple of times. And the reason I wanted to bring uh, Dr. Taylor on is because we had a really interesting conversation around education. And there's something that just that just sparked my interest because one of the things that uh, we spoke about when uh, we first uh, had our first discussion um, was uh, Dr. Taylor basically said, well, when I have a problem with something, I'll go off and do a degree in it. And I just thought that was just so fantastic. Uh, Dr. Rachel Taylor, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. That just made me laugh because that is true. But I've never heard it spoken is in such dulcet tones, you know, I, because that is what I do. I love it. <laughs> but it's brilliant. I mean, and it's something that I, I just wanted to say, I mean, that for me, the, the idea that you have this drive to continue to expand your knowledge base and to learn and to learn not just through your own, you're obviously an incredibly intelligent and accomplished woman being a doctor in neuroscience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of people would stop at that point and go, well, actually I know. So I commend you uh, for it. I think it's really amazing that you're continuing, especially especially when it came to education. And, and, and that's what we're here to talk about. You. Well, tell us the story, because we were talking a little bit. You were talking about neuroscience, then yeah. you were talking about education. And then you yeah. said to me that you decided to do something about it. So give us give us yeah. a little bit of background there, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, I, I'm a, a lover of education, as um, you sort of described. I've always been, I suppose, a bit of, bit of a disciple of the, um, you know, knowledge is power kind of ethos and and i've always wanted to gather more and i, I love learning about many different subjects and because school was such a you know it, it was such a safe place for me it was a place where actually you could be whoever you wanted to be i think i was quite privileged <laughs> to have that you know looking at education now that was very privileged you know um so i thought i had such a a passion for education and you know hearing stuff in the news here you know sort of seeing where education was going I thought I can't really have an opinion about that unless I'm prepared to do something about it um so I decided to do a PGCE in biology well I had to because I, I don't actually have any science A levels this is this is really interesting hold on I have you don't no have science a science A levels, a levels but no, you're, I don't. you're a doctor I don't in neuroscience yeah yeah, wow. yeah. I, I have my A levels are um ancient Greek Latin, classical civilization, history, and general studies. I don't even know if they'd still do general studies. But hey, you're perfectly positioned to be a teacher then with your Latin and your British cultural <laughs> yeah. capital, you know, argument yeah, yeah. here. So sorry, carry yeah, on. Yeah. So yeah, so um, I went to do psychology um, as, an, as an undergrad, um, you know, and that was my first you know, Bachelor of Science. That was my first, you know, that was when I was a scientist. And then I went on to do molecular biology. Um, and then my, my PhD was in cognitive neuroscience. So I made the transition. But I, st I still say this, that every scientist should have to have a grounding in philosophy and the ancient arts. It makes you a better scientist. 
So I will say that. So I didn't have any um, A-levels <laughs> in any of the sciences, which was a bit tricky for the Department of Education. <laughs> However, because of my other credentials, they must have thought we have to do something about this. And at the time, they had this other um, sort of process where you could literally get up to date on whichever science. It was like a pre-PGCE course, which I think it went from about 10 weeks, where you got up to date with all the um, science that you needed to do. So I had to do that before I did the PGCE. And I also had to do all the literacy and numeracy um, exams, which was really, it was a whole interesting um, project really. So then I started to do the PGCE and I did it in um, secondary biology because that was the one most closely aligned to um, obviously my my career path and the first thing that actually struck me when I started my PGC is that why is there no psychology why is there no psycho why do why do teachers not understand how the brain works that's why do a teachers really not interesting question that's a yeah. really really interesting question yeah it is, it is fundamental to how do we learn yeah yeah so they have these teaching and learning modules but there's no actual how do children learn in in there it's like teaching um, about all these tools which teachers didn't have when I was at school. There was no scaffolding. There was no how it, it makes me laugh because there was stuff around working memory. Well, as a neuroscientist, I just want to say to all teachers who are listening to this and parents, it's pretty tricky with the working memory because the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until somebody's 25. So all of these executive function disorders that they're talking about, I struggle with with that label. There's labels that they put upon children because until someone's 25, how do you know if the executive function is disordered? So yeah. So anyway, I, I digress. So I go back to the story, and so I was I was really amazed. And I was like, so how how are these children going to learn if the teachers don't understand how they learn? That was something fundamental to me, and I sort of brought it up. Um, you know, with my cohort, shouted down a lot, um, which tends to happen in universities. Um, and I just said, you're setting children up to fail doing this. Um, and it, it was like, it was really interesting because it was like they didn't want to know that from sort of, you know, the university setting. And, and I just thought, right, well, maybe it's not like this in schools. <laughs> maybe this is just literally the, the theory. And we all know application is different to theory. You know, I just like, you know, I, I, used to, I used to think I was an optimist. <laughs> now <laughs> I know that was just la la land. <laughs> that well, wasn't even optimism. <laughs> that was like wanting, you know, unrealistic expectation, we'll call that. So then I went to do teaching practice um, and, you know, to put things in, into place. And I was just, I was, I was really saddened at the lack of inspiration in, in the classrooms. Obviously, I was in a science lab, um, which to me, that's the place where you can really inspire children in a science lab. How can, you can't get much more inspirational than a science lab. And um, I suppose for me, one, one of the key things that I, I you know, sort of wanted to get across to people, once you're in a science lab, you're a scientist. You're no longer just a, n a normal human being. You're actually a scientist who can be curious, explore, and discover. Well, <laughs> that that wasn't really what the children were used to. <laughs> so we're, we're, you know, even in teaching practice, we had a little bit of you know teething problems with that. They didn't want that label, 
and, and this was really interesting as well especially you know because obviously my specialism was biology but you have to teach chemistry and physics which are pretty math heavy and they all felt that they they couldn't do that because they were bad at maths uh, and, and and therefore there was a block there. I went, you're not really bad at maths. You've just not been inspired by it. And I said, if you knew that Pythagoras, you know, he he was put to death because of his theorem and some of these really interesting things that you learned about, you think are boring. Actually, you know, when you when you know the story behind them, it brings it to life and, and surely that makes it interesting for you, you know. So teaching practice came and went. Um, you know, there was some some good you know really i want to say good teachers who were stifled because of the system yeah um and you know i, I don't know I, for me i was in a bit of a weird weird situation because i knew i could only teach part-time because i couldn't afford to teach full-time because it pays that pitiful yeah so i could only do part-time because i still needed to do what i considered my day job <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, of course. alongside of all of the, all of it, um, to actually pay for pay for life, um, you know. But obviously, this is this is people's full time full time job. Well, so I was you know, say, the, the it's, system... really, it's really sad that you say that you had to carry on with your day job because yeah. you couldn't do this full time. Yeah. Even if you chose to, I mean, it, it, it's something that was kind of an extra to what you're doing. But it's really interesting to recognise that. This industry, this job, this vocation, because it is a vocation, yeah. um, is so underpaid that people can't survive by doing yeah. it as their as their main. Yeah, job, yeah. Which I think is a really important point. Sorry, it's, Dr. it's, it's yeah, no, no, no. It's it's a huge point, and you know, sort of jumping ahead a bit. You know, as a neuroscientist, um, when you um, see teachers now and I, I encounter teachers because my two youngest are still in the school system it's really difficult for me because I want to fight the corner with my children but I recognize other human beings who are burnt out who simply have um you know compassion fatigue you know it's not just like nurses and doctors who get compassion fatigue these, these teachers just don't care anymore yeah. they don't care they you know I, and it's like very difficult because I understand why they are the way they are but then you know, I had a particularly tarry time last week with um, a secondary school, and and I got I got really angry. And I thought, right, you, you'll go out and strike about your pain conditions, but you'll not go out and strike because you are being forced to deal with children in a way that you think is unnatural. You won't strike about that. So it's really difficult to have um, sympathy and empathy yeah. when you know pe people don't focus on on the right thing you know i can recognize the system doesn't work i can recognize all of this but equally you know there, there's something about that you know and when i went into um my first as, as in nqt which it just it, it actually makes me me laugh because there's no recognition uh there was no recognition that um i had a phd that i researched um genetics that i was a published author and yeah, there was no recognition i started right at the bottom of the scale so no recognition that when i had teaching practice that my lessons were outstanding yeah. you know I, and i'm sh not saying this because i think you know i should be getting a pat on the head but there will be thousands of other people who maybe are in the same position as me who got treated the same and it's, it's like there's no flexibility in the system when there isn't. You can see why children are, are, you know, 
dispirited, shall we say, with spirits of crush. So when I went into um, my first um, teaching job, I got a job and it was an amazing studio school. So it was like um, <clears throat> sort of the step between mainstream and a referral unit. So these are for children who um, really either couldn't cope with mainstream or weren't allowed in mainstream. Right. So we had a, a, right, a right mix. Um, and it was a very deprived area um, where I worked in as well. But again, you know, you're in your classroom and your classroom is, you make it so that it's something to inspire children. It's something, um, you know, that they, that they will really enjoy coming to. And, you know, I made sure that every child within in, in that remit, whether they were resistant or not, actually started to think of themselves as a scientist so that they, you know, foster this curiosity, which is really interesting because that's what the government says should happen. <laughs> and, and yeah, there's not much, unless you are a person who naturally wants to foster curiosity in other people, which is not a natural trait for most, no. unless you have that, there's no scope in the curriculum to do it. I'm just looking in science because if the, if you can't foster curiosity in a science in science, then God help you. There's all sorts of tricks you can do in science. You know, there's all sorts. Um, and and I'm I made my you know th these are children who um, really probably wouldn't have much cause to know how to work out you know the mole of a, a molecule. <laughs> you know that's not going to be something that they're going to use after they've done the GCSE. You know, and it's certainly something they probably won't remember. Um, and, you know, they, they probably will never utilise any of the, the, the knowledge that, you know, try to get. But what, what I thought was mo most important is that they remember the feeling that they got in the lab. Yeah. They remember the excitement. And I'm thinking in particular of one great day with year 10s when it was the old biology, um, how do you test for diabetes? And I'd actually got... Um, some real urine from somebody who was both a type one and type two diabetic wow. and, and yeah the lab did smell of urine <laughs> it, it wasn't a pretty smell but because we used actual real way they actually could see the difference in sugar levels between people who are type one and type two and they talked about that for weeks it was like along with the smell it was like wow so you know diabetes it's not the same you would never have got that from a sugar solution you know and I remember sitting at one of um a parents uh, a parents evening and, and saying to to one mother about her son and, and just saying you know I've seen his confidence come on he is really engaged he loves his lessons and I said and I can see he, he has such a um, an interest in things in the environment and she started crying oh my god i only, I only tend to make people cry when i'm, I'm doing your science experiment I didn't, I didn't want parents to be crying and she just said you're the first teacher that's ever said anything positive about my son and i looked at, and he was 14 at the time and i looked at her and i went what you you all through primary school there was nothing positive then and they just said no he was a troublemaker he wouldn't settle he wouldn't sit you know he he wouldn't do what they told him to you know and I, I was like wow she's been coming to parents evening all this time and I'm the first teacher ever to say something positive about her son that's insane yeah I know it was like and that made me cry
you know but, but isn't that isn't like... that indicative of the of the huge problem and the massive disconnect between yeah. that compassionate vocation and yeah. the child finding their journey i want to chris yeah. i can see you nodding you're in a much better position to uh, discuss this <laughs> I just, I just wonder which point I go back to. I've been making notes furiously. <laughs> talking, I know, I tend I to thought, speak too much. I'm sorry, Chris. <laughs> well, I thought, do I interrupt here? Do I, but I'm so so engaged in the story. You're, you're, you're so good at telling the story. It's very engaged. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought, no, I'm just going to listen. Uh, I would go back to one right at the beginning. Can, can I just go back? I'm sorry, I mean, we are on an important point, but just to go back, you were talking about how you were... Um, following different interests academically mm. and Tamir said something about the rewards of that that you were doing it for, for the reward and I thought yeah it's not you're not doing it for the house or the car or the money you're not doing it for what society and schools are set up schools all the time say get your GCSEs because it'll get you a job and the job will get you money then you can buy the stuff we try and sell you and we can keep the economy going and and all that but you as an individual don't matter you're just part of this society that has to generate wealth yeah uh, so you obviously i wondered where where your reward is what what, what does reward you when you're oh my yeah well god motivation and reward chris that's that's a, a good mechanism in the brain that not many people <laughs> talk about it's one of my favorite ones my my reward i'm, I'm motivated to continually improve my knowledge and i'm interested in in lots of things and i and i see i see the value in um actually uh, acquiring you know different um viewpoints different opinions and working out for yourself what's what's right for you and i think um that given the right circumstances and it's such a shame um that we are um sort of both politicizing and monetizing the education system the way that we are doing um because that's going to um really price a lot of people out and and i think there's a reason for that there is there's definitely a reason for it. we could talk about that a bit later but for me learning has always been you know a place where i've felt safe where i've been interested it's kept me going in really adverse times um and, and it's just sort of the knowledge that no matter what else is happening if you are learning if you are acquiring new knowledge then you are actually still moving forward you are still becoming a, a different and better more informed um person and it's really interesting what you've picked up on because I'm often finding these days, and again, I don't want to come across as arrogant, and I hope it doesn't. Um, but but I find that many people that I deal with, particularly in education now, are intimidated by my intelligence, and, and that puts me at a disadvantage because they are so aggressive, they are so abrasive, and they try and shut me down without giving me a, a, a fair crack of the whip, without being able to enter discussion. You know, and I'm, I'm coming from a place of, I just want to understand this policy because it's kind of contradicts what you say you're all about, because let me tell you how the brain works. And they don't want to know. They shut me down and say, this is not up for debate. I don't want to debate you. I want to know how you arrived at this point. Will it stop me from ever learning? No, no, I, I continue to learn. In fact, it's a really sad time when I think, oh, what's wrong with me? I actually feel myself getting really... Um, 
quite sad and I think what's wrong I've not learned anything properly I've not got stuck into anything I need to sort of amend that you know it's just one of my main drivers I, I came from a childhood which was you know if I called it tempestuous that's probably like really kind <laughs> you know it, it was um extremely harrowing in many ways but I got the gift of a really good education and, and I think that's I always associate that no matter how bad things are if you go and you go into a library, you read a book, you go and learn something, you acquire a new skill, um, then then that is something that there's some redemption in that. There's something to take you forward with that. So yeah, that that's just been something that has been really important to me. And um, if you if you ask my my children, I have three children, the 10, 11, and 24, you know, you say what what's what you got from from mummy? What what's one thing you got from mummy? It's like work ethic all three of them have a work ethic that comes from from me in in that you know and, and this is really important maybe maybe your listeners don't understand won't know this either is that if you work hard you get dopamine in the right part of the brain if you acquire things and it's too easy you become risk averse and and you know i i always want to say to people it doesn't matter how long it takes for you to get something if you work hard we'll talk about the, the reward will come you'll get a nice dopamine hit in the right part of the brain that literally sets you up to keep on repeating that really good behavior i'm just going to pause uh, so, you yeah. for one second because i want to come in on that which is exactly what video games do in the sense they make it difficult for you to overcome something so that mm. when you do overcome it you get that reward and it feels deserved. It's a deserved yeah. reward, yeah. which gives you that mm -hmm. sense of achievement, which is absolutely what you're saying is absolutely what we trade on in the yeah. materials. I'm going to shut up now, but I just thought it was important to say that. Can I yeah. just ask as well, um, the, the struggles you had in this, I mean, I had them all for 25 years till I finally left. And I, and I think, when I left, I think a lot of people sighed with relief because in meetings, I was the always one who put my hand up and said, but why, why are we doing it? But why are we doing this to these kids? Why have we taken that off the curriculum? Why are you doing this? Why? Um, and I'd ask questions like, how do you think these children are going to learn if this is what you're doing? Surely the learning is important. And people would, would sort of look at you sideways, like be quiet, Chris, if you want to be, have a career or be promoted in this school, I would be quiet if I were you. And toe the line, except. But but I thought the questions I was asking were pretty fundamental, and so I had to reach positions of power, um, not management. I did try for management, as Tamir knows. But when I got when I was doing the training, I realised that it was going to remove me from the kids and the classroom, and I wouldn't be able to do anything anymore. And I was looking at managers, thinking, and you you touched on it earlier on that I think I, this is probably doing a lot of them a disservice. But I'm not sure teachers are are the way teachers used to be now because of the way they're trained, because of the, the restrictions on them, because of all the league tables, et cetera. And I'm not sure that I ever meet managers who are genuinely interested in children anymore. That to get up the career path and become a head or whatever, you have to leave the children behind and then hope your teachers are doing it, I presume. Um, and so I, don't I, was, think, I don't think the teachers are even doing it. No, I they're don't not. Think, no, they're yeah. not. No, that's that's the point. And I just I just wondered what whether you did get you said why no psychology? And I just wondered why didn't they listen to you? Why do you think in education where you'd think they'd be 
that's the place to listen, surely to God. That's the place to be learning. But yeah. the system itself doesn't seem to be interested in learning anything about children or about education. It's interested in an outcome which is politicised, as we as we touched on earlier. So I just wonder what answer you have, being understanding perhaps a bit, you know, more about psychology and things than than perhaps most of us do. What answer? Why do they not listen? Um, I, I think that the the answer that I come up with is a really it's hard to hear. It's it's a really tough to hear answer which I come up with, and it's it's tough for me to say. But if you are um, a system that actually is doing everything opposite to what helps somebody thrive, what helps somebody um, you know optimize who they really can be, then you have to come to the conclusion that the system is trying to crush people. And because people who are apathetic, people who are crushed, people who are burnt out, um, actually don't, op you know, there's no opposition to whatever the, the system is pushing through. And, you know, I came to um, a really interesting observation towards the end of last week. And I thought, oh, my God. All the, you know, the majority of students who are leaving A-level and going into university are entering university burnt out. They're entering what should be the time of, um, you know, exploration and, you know, socialization and, and really solidifying who you might want to be in as, as an adult. They are entering that time of life ex exhausted with all sorts of indoctrinated ideas imprinted in the brain and labels that often are really un unhelpful and unuseful. And I'm not saying that the, everybody, I'm not saying it's 100%, but I would say it's, it's well over 90% of people who are entering universities in, in that state. And I, I just see when I'm walking down the street, I, you see people who are disengaged, people who are dead behind the eyes, people who look physically unwell people who are just very, you know, dehumanized. I think that's the key thing for me in schools and the policies that they have. They are dehumanizing policies. They are not anything to do with humanity or kindness. And interestingly enough, considering inclusion it is so big on the curriculum, they are very exclusive. Yeah. You know, at, at, at the risk of um, people accusing me of being tin hattish. The only conclusion that I can form is that these um, these policies have the have the end in mind. That's the complete opposite of what they say they should be doing, because they are not nurturing, they are not thriving, and it goes right the way down to sort of um, preschool. When you look at the preschool curriculum, it's like, where's the free play? When are these children allowed to be bored? Because, uh, you know, your listeners need to know boredom is good for the brain. If a child does not know how to be bored, oh, my goodness, you set yourself up to a whole world of pain. You know, in, in adulthood, it wasn't that different between my 24-year-old going to nursery and my 10 and 11-year-old going to nursery. But I have friends who are going through the nursery experience, and it's alien to me what their children are exposed to. So that's happened very, very quickly. There wasn't much change between my children. And, and there's a generation between my eldest and my two youngest. And, and now I just look. So this is not just from a school perspective. This is coming right the way 
back, you know, to, um, you know, preschool, nursery settings. And then if you wanted to take it a bit further, you know, if you are a, a woman having a baby in the NHS, you are disempowered, you are treated as a, you know, as if you are inept, you are completely at the you know, mercy of whatever NHS consultant and midwife you've got. So it sort of goes back then as well. It's like this complete um, taking away of autonomy. Can I ask a question on on this? Um, what I want what I want to ask is, if we know we're damaging children, and if we know the curriculum isn't um, enhancing them as an individual um, and giving them opportunities and uh, and and chances to be who they are and, and to discover what they are, um, what's the end game? I have been so strongly conditioned, socially conditioned, that, that it's so strong in me that children go to school. Yeah. It's so strong. And it's really difficult because I'm going through a grieving process at the moment because school was my safe place. School is no longer a safe place. And my, my youngest, she's in year six, she will not be going to secondary school. I have removed her from the system. She's not going to go to secondary school. My second youngest, he's 11, he's in year seven. He's on a precipice of not going back because it's it's so damaging in so many ways. But also from a socialization socialization point, he enjoys walking to school with his friends. He enjoys going kicking a, a ball around at lunch. So it's very difficult. And I, I would imagine quite a lot of parents who are seeing this damage that's being done are possibly having the same. Um, it, it's almost like you don't want it to be true. You yeah. don't want it to, you don't want what you're seeing to be, because surely, surely the Department of Education wouldn't want to damage children. Surely the government doesn't want an unhealthy workforce. Sure, you know, all of these things. And I think what, what we have to sort of understand as well is if you, if you challenge schools, it's not their fault. It's right. the Department of Education. Yeah. You go to the Department of Education and say, this is not mandatory, it's all just guidelines. Schools can decide. Schools are autonomous. Schools can decide who, who, how they want to function. So you go to, you go to UMP, you go to ministers, and it's like, well, education has nothing to do with us. No one is actually taking responsibility for what is happening because it's not their problem. They're just, they're just following the system. You try to find out who's in charge of the system, and and you can't. So how can you, as parents, improve something when nobody's actually saying that they're responsible for it? It's really difficult. Um, also, could I, I just say, sorry? Could I just say as well? Also, if you don't recognise the problem, yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 to me, knows I sort of over dramatise things because I get very emotional about things and over dramatise them. But I, one of my problems is that in the twenty-five years I was there, and as the government introduced more and more restrictions and everything was to do with Ofsted inspections, mm-hmm. then and now all the new. Um, initial teacher training and, and the um, the framework, the teachers are getting less and less able to think or be intellectual about anything. They're just trained monkeys, basically, yes. doing what they're told to do, which means the kids are coming out thinking that's what it is, which means most of the parents we're talking about who would need to make the change or argue with it don't know the alternative. They don't know what it could actually be like Um, And they're kept so busy, as you say, with cost of living and with wars and everything else that are all being, I mean, I've said to, I don't want to shift into politics with this, obviously, but 
it, it's all too political. So look at these children who are walking the streets and look a they look a mess. They're so scruffy. There, you know, and, and I live in Winchester. <laughs> we were talking about that. <laughs> I live in Winchester. Your listeners, I don't live. I, I live in in a weird part of the world where there is so much affluence that I still can't believe that I was allowed to cross the border. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there is so much affluence, um, and I see these children who look so scruffy. They look so unwell. They have no spark behind their eyes. I see them vaping. I'm like, God, why are we allowing that? Why are we allowing it? And I tell you why it's like because people who are addicted, people who are downtrodden, people who have no purpose, no meaning, no spark are easier to control. And I, I, I want to just say to these parents, I actually I feel so lonely as a parent and as a professional. I feel lonely as a professional. I'm like, I'm not a development psychologist. I'm not a cognitive psychologist. I, and I'm finding myself going, checking. Am I right? Am I right thinking that this is what happens? Am I, am, have I remembered wrong? I, I'm going, I'm checking myself because like, where are they all? Where th- are all these I th- people? I think my, 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 my thing on this has changed a lot in the last couple of years, as, as Chris will tell you. I actually think what you're seeing is a result of a failed school system. Yeah. Um, I, I truly believe that. And I, actually, I've got a really good example of this. I was doing science homework with my eldest yesterday and on Monday. Now, I did an engineering degree. I am not um, unfamiliar <laughs> with... Mm. Uh, with physics well, and you're science. a real science you're, you're a real scientist well, I would, my I daughter's would, an engineer and she says she's a real scientist because i deal with genes and people i'm not i i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't argue that i am a real scientist i didn't do anything with my science I, I didn't finish my engineering degree but the point of the matter is is that i understand maths and physics and and sciences now i've taken screenshots of the questions that my child has been asked on these ridiculous apps um, that test and assess and then sort children based on the responses yeah. that yeah. they've given. My best friend is a physics teacher, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so uh, so I, I co- contacted him to make sure that I wasn't going nuts. The thing that my eldest said to me maybe four or five times in the space of an hour is, why am I so stupid? Why can't I understand? Why I'm, Why am I getting this wrong? And it took me an hour to talk her down and say, it's not you. The question is stupid. The way that they phrased it, they ha- they're not using English properly. They, you, they're no, not they're even not. asking you what they want properly. Yeah. And yeah. they're taking you down a route which is convoluted, confusing. What we do now with each question, as I say, just in one sentence, just try to figure out what it is that they're asking you to do. Because if you can yeah. figure that out, you can... But that is what I think those children that you're talking about, that are scruffy, they have got their world in their palm because they can and they can build their world in their palms and on their consoles and everywhere else that's safe, that's recognisable, that they are in control of that domain, whereas they're not in control of their learning and they feel like they don't deserve... My daughter said to me yesterday, she's in the middle group of maths and highest set of everything else. She said, I shouldn't be in the highest set of everything. I'm not good enough. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. And that, to me, is the killer. 